Good morning, HBC. A warm welcome to each and every one of you. Uh, I, uh, I joked in the first service, I said to the guys, I haven't preached in a while. One of the challenges you always have is this microphone and getting it to you know, be firm on your ear. So I found that by growing my hair, it, it's really giving it that extra grip and support <laughs> it needs see, to address that type of issue. Um, yeah, the sermon this morning is from Psalm 121. Uh, it will be great if you follow with me as we read through the psalm uh, using physical Bibles or electronic Bibles, whatever you have. Uh, before we do that, let's just quickly come to the Lord uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the psalm that we can study this morning. We thank you for your word and its power. Um, Father, I thank you especially that I know that um, irrespective of our capabilities, irrespective of how um, good my words are or how articulate they are or how, um, how lacking they are, Father, that uh, you can use any condition, uh, any circumstance to your glory. And so, Father, as we come to your word, I pray that this message this morning will be planted deep in the hearts of your children and that you would give the growth, that you would make it meaningful and that you would make it powerful. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 121. My help comes from the Lord, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now to give you the background to the psalm, I'm going to tell a story. And please try and picture yourself in this situation as I, as I tell it. It is the year 250 before Christ. You are a Jew living in ancient Israel on the outskirts of Israel's borders. It is that time of year where it's almost the celebration of the Passover feast. And that means that you will need to travel to Jerusalem for the celebration of the feast. This is not the only time where you travel to Jerusalem. In fact, you do this three times every year to celebrate the feasts as commanded by the Lord your God when he gave the law to his servant Moses. Jerusalem is far away and you need to travel by foot. You wish that you can afford a donkey to travel on, but, but that is something that is reserved for Israel's elite. At least you know that you will not be alone because every Jew in the Middle East will be making this journey to Jerusalem. At this stage, you don't know it yet, but 250 years from now, your Messiah will be born, and he will be traveling this same route by foot, at least 140 kilometers both ways, three times a year, to obey the Lord's command in keeping these same feasts. 
It's a long and difficult journey that lies ahead, but you pack your sandwiches and off you go. By day, the scorching sun beats down on your forehead. It drains you of all energy. When the sun sets, there is some reprieve, but then the temperatures plummet and it is freezingly cold. You are so exhausted that you wish you can just fall asleep, but there are wild animals that are around and you are very much open and exposed. After a couple of days of travel, you start approaching the mountains where Jerusalem is. You see, Jerusalem is built on top of Mount Zion. And on this journey, you get to the point where you need to ascend the hills and the surrounding mountain area in order to get to Jerusalem, God's city, where the temple is, where God is, where there will be rest. But this final stretch is especially arduous. There is no proper road, and the way is not clearly marked. It is scarcely populated and desolate. Your foot can easily slip on the loose gravel and stones, resulting in a fatal fall. The last thing you want to do after having traveled so far is to slip and fall over the edge of a cliff. You also need to be wary of robbers and bandits who love to hide in the mountains and pounce on the unprepared traveler. The mountains are also a favored worshiping spot for pagans who love to build their heights and altars, who love to build their altars on the heights and the high places. And you will need to avoid them and their false gods as well. One tradition, though, that you would enjoy, especially about this trip, is that as you see Jerusalem, as the pilgrims start ascending to Jerusalem, they would sing a collection of psalms known as Psalms of Ascent. This is Psalm 120 all the way through to Psalm 134. Now you've just sung Psalm 120, and as you cast your eyes to the hills, the pilgrims around you burst out into song and they sing Psalm 121. You feel encouraged and motivated, and you continue with your journey up the mountain to Jerusalem. Now friends, this is a, a very well-known psalm, we all know it, but it is one that becomes all the more profound and meaningful once we understand the background to the psalm. Now the story that I've told of the Jew traveling to Jerusalem for the celebration of the feasts is, is real. That is what they would have to do three times a year, and they would face these obstacles along the way. And then the Jew would cast his eyes to the mountains, and this is where the psalm was penned. So how is the psalm relevant to, us to, to, relevant to us today? I mean, we're not traveling uh, up mountains to Jerusalem. Well, we are also pilgrims on this earth. We are traveling through this life, and our destination is the new Jerusalem that is found in heaven. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 calls us exiles and sojourners, and Philippians calls us citizens of heaven. We are not of this world. Like the pilgrim in the psalm, we are on life's journey and we will also face hills and mountains and difficulties on our way to the new Jerusalem. Let's just consider the past year we've had. 2020 has been a very difficult year for us. We were locked up in our homes for weeks on end. And like the weary traveler casting his eyes to the mountains, not sure what awaits him as he ascends, we were also not sure what was going to happen with us and the unfolding of the coronavirus. 
we were not sure if we were going to lose our jobs, if we will be financially insecure afterwards. Uh, at one stage, we, when it was very early we, and we were very uncertain, we perhaps thought that we were all going to die. We were going to be wiped out by this virus like the Black Plague. Um, perhaps we were concerned that, uh, that we or maybe some of our loved ones will pass away. Perhaps we still have those fears. Even now as a church, we still can't have fellowship and meet in the way we really want to. And as Andrew preached on a couple of weeks ago, we have the task ahead of us of rebuilding our ministries and our fellowship and our gatherings and our, and our finances. 2020 was a difficult year. 2021 is four days away, and we do not know what it has in store for us. Already now there's talk of a new strain of the coronavirus and possible, possibly going back to another hard lockdown. I believe this psalm is extremely relevant today in taking our thoughts away from the mountains that we face and centering our thoughts on the God who is greater than the mountains, the Lord who created heaven and earth. So I want us to consider this psalm under three headings. The first heading is the true source of help. In other words, where can you find help? The second heading is the extent and timing of help. How much help is available and when is it available? And the last heading is more of a personal question that I want to ask you, and that is, do you need help? So let's consider the first heading, the true source of help. In verse 1, we see that as the weary traveler casts his eyes to the hills and mountains and the challenges he repre they represent, he concludes that the only source of his help is the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. God who is Lord over the mountains. Now saying that God is the creator, it's, it's such a short statement that contains such a profound truth. It, it's almost like saying that the sun is hot. Yes, I mean, the sun is hot. Durban will be hot today. Um, the plate you cook your food on is hot. Molten lava is hot. The surface temperature of the sun, you can say it is hot. But we all recognize that these levels of hotness are vastly away from one another or separated from one another. They're not equal. So to say that God is the creator, it's true, but there is so much truth in that that we need to unpack it. The biblical account states that God created the entire known universe, which at this point in time we can't even measure. And He made this out of no pre-existing material with no help using only the force of His spoken word. I mean, this is, this is enormous. This is unfathomable. God is huge. He is powerful. This is more power than billions of nuclear bombs going off together. It is infinite, unmeasurable power. But God is not just raw power or strength. Just think of the intellect and the wisdom that God must possess to have been able to create the universe with all its order and all its systems. And then being able to maintain it. I've got two children at home. Uh, sometimes I feel they're not children, but two tornadoes of destruction that just leave carnage in their wake. And I struggle to keep my household together. But God keeps the entire universe together. And it's easy for Him. He doesn't even break out in a sweat. 
The fact that God is the creator puts him in a league entirely of its own. This God and this God only is our help. He alone possesses the power to mount to melt the mountains like wax in his presence. There is no better source of help than God. He can lift you up to soar over your mountains. He can flatten your mountains if he so wish. He can give you the energy and the support and strength you need to cross and climb over your mountains. So to summarize what we've seen thus far is, is that we've seen that God is the source of our help and he is capable of helping us. He has the power, the wisdom and the intellect to help us. But the question may be, is God predisposed to helping us? Does he want to help us? Does he even care? Now, if we go back to our psalm, we will see that the same Hebrew word is used repeatedly in the psalm. And depending on the translation that you use, uh, it, it might have, there might be different words used for it. But in the ESV, it is the word keep. In verse 3 and verse 4, we read that he who keeps you will not slumber. In verse 5, we read the Lord is your keeper. In verse 7, he keeps us from all evil he keeps our lives and in verse 8 the lord will keep your going out and coming in now, as i've said depending on the translation you use different words may have, might have been used here different translations translated as preserve or protect or guard or watches but it is the same hebrew word that contains all these nuances now we know in scripture that it is a literary device to use repetition. And that when you see this in the Bible, it means the Bible is emphasizing a concept. So what the psalm is doing, it is shouting out in bold, in all caps, it's proclaiming, God is your keeper. God is your protector. God is your helper. God is your preserver. God is your watchman. watchman. God is your sustainer. And the the repeated use of this word and its varied meanings implies a very close and personal, intimate relationship. We know from the New Testament and in the Old Testament, we see that God loves us as a father who loves his children. He wants to help us. He is capable of helping us. And he does, in fact, help us. Jesus gives us the inv invite, showing us the heart of God when he says, Come to me. All who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God invites us to come to Him for help. So to conclude this point, when we face troubles and trials in this life, real help cannot be found in man. It can only be found in an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God who loves us and who cares for us and who is active in helping us. But what does this help look like? Um, is, is this help only available some of the time? Does God meet us halfway? Uh, can you reach God after hours? Does he go on holiday? That brings me to my second point, the extent and timing of help. Let's read verse 3 to 6 again. Verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, 
He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now in the Old Testament, the mountains were often viewed as places of loneliness and abandonment, the haunts of wild animals and birds, the abode of false gods and enemies, and the place where one could slip and fall, and the implication is a disastrous, fatal fall. But here we read in the psalm in verse 3 that God will not let your foot slip. He will make you sure-footed. He will provide the necessary support you need not to fall over a cliff. When you are tired, when your knees are weak and your legs are watery, especially when you travel difficult terrain, it is so easy to fall and slip. But God will not allow it. Verse 5 says that God is our keeper. He holds us fast. He is our shade when the sun would beat down upon us and drain us of energy. God is the one who will provide rest and energy when the circumstances of life tire you out. He is close by. It says He is your shade at your right hand. The idea is that God is as close to you as your shadow. You just need to reach out your right hand and touch Him. That is how close He is to help you. He is your protection against the sun. In other words, God is your protection during the day. But God's help and power does not stop in daytime only. We also read that by, ni- by night the moon, shall not harm, the moon shall not harm you by night, nor shall you be harmed by whatever creature or evil operates under the cover of darkness. So this poetic language talking about day and night uh, refers to the fact that God helps us 24-7. Whilst we are sleeping at night, God is still at work. He still watches over us. And in fact, God can accomplish more whilst we are sleeping than we can accomplish on our own in all our waking hours. We have the promise that the powerful Creator does not slumber or sleep. He stays awake to ensure that our feet will not be moved and that we will not be harmed by the sun by day or the moon by night. I mean, remember the, the story of Elijah and Baal? Uh, Billy told this story a couple of weeks ago, but just to refresh your memory, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown, and, the, and he says, we will, we will make two sacrifices, and we will pray to our gods. I will pray to the God of Israel, you pray to Baal, and the one who sends down fire to devour the sacrifice, that is the real God. The prophets of Baal go first. And they pray, and they pray, and they call out. Eventually, they start cutting themselves. Baal does not respond. And Elijah then mocks them. He says, you know, perhaps Baal went for a toilet break, and he somehow managed to lock himself inside the bathroom stall. Just go and break him out. Or perhaps he's on a journey. Perhaps Baal is sleeping. Just shout a little bit louder so that you can wake him up. But Baal never responds. Then it is Elijah's turn, and he tells... um, his, his people there to take 12 large jars of water and to pour it over the sacrifice so that the sacrifice is dripping wet. Now, why did Elijah do this? Well, I like what the one commentator said. He said, a God who cannot light wet wood is no good. And, and, and that summarizes it so well. Elijah prays 
a simple prayer. He doesn't have to pray long. He prays once. And God responds by sending fire from heaven, which devours the sacrifice. But more than the sacrifice, it devours the stones, the wood, the entire altar is devoured. Our God does not sleep. He does not play computer games when you are in need of help and you pray to Him. He does not go on holiday. He is the shade at your right hand. He watches your footsteps to ensure that you will not slip and fall. And friends, the circumstances do not need to be perfect for God to help you. God did not need Elijah's sacrifice to be perfect before he could devour it. You do not need to fear that if, if your situation is so difficult that God will not be able to intervene. Whether it is wet wood, dry wood, driftwood, no wood, it doesn't matter to God. In fact, the more adverse and undesirable the conditions, the more God's power can be displayed. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10, we read, and this is uh, Paul speaking, uh, or God speaking to Paul, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if you've been listening attentively, you are perhaps spotting the elephant in the room. And that is that we're now reading about when I suffer insults, persecutions, calamities. But our psalm has just said, your foot shall not slip and the sun shall not harm you by day nor the moon by night. So what is going on? Is scripture contradicting itself? Well, others, other passages in scripture make it clear that we will face trial and difficulty in this life. We can simply turn to the book of Genesis and there we find in the very early chapters that because of our sin, the earth has been cursed and that it will sprout thorns and thistles so that we will only eat by the sweat of our brows. James 1 tells us that when we encounter trials of various kinds, it is in order to mature our faith. And then it says that we should be joyful when we go through trial. Sometimes we encounter trials and difficulty as a form of discipline. Hebrews 12, 11 says that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So how do we understand the psalm then in light of the troubles and hardships we face? As the one commentator said, Noah must have fallen down many times in the ark, but he never fell out of the ark. So this psalm underlines the fact that in the midst of your trial, God is fully in control. Your trial cannot exceed the boundaries placed upon it by God. God will give you the necessary strength and support you need to get through the trial, over the mountain, and He guarantees that He will get you to the new Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, we often talk of the perseverance of the saints, but it's only because God perseveres with us that we can persevere. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 1.6. 
This psalm assures us that God will get us to the new Jerusalem. And I want us to consider the last two verses of the psalm. And, you know, as we've, in a sense, ascended the psalm, we're actually getting to the pinnacle of this psalm where we can see the, the crescendo, the glorious truths culminating in these two verses. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And the word life there refers to your, your soul, your inner man, your very, very life, all of life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 7 tells us that God will keep us from all evil and He will hold fast our lives. He will protect our very lives, our very souls, our innermost man. This protection he offers, it's not just physical, it's physical, emotional, spiritual. And verse 8 tells us that this applies to all spheres of life. Whether we go out to work, or whether we go out to the shops, whether we go out to friends or to church, or when we return home, are coming in, God is always with us. This psalm tells us that our soul is kept from the dominion of sin. The infection of error, the crush of despondency, the puffing up of pride. We are kept from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are kept for holier and greater things. We are kept in the love of God, kept unto the eternal kingdom and glory. What can harm a soul that is kept of the Lord? And He will do this from this time forth into eternity. God will be with you every minute of your life. And when you breathe out your last breath and your soul soars to heaven, He will be with you. And as you get to the gates of heaven, He will be with you. And as you enter through the gates, He will be with you and you will, in be, and you will be in His presence forever. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. That's Jude 1, 24 to 25. I mean, what an amazing truth. What a Savior we have in Jesus. So to summarize the, my, my points this far. So number one, we've seen that the source of our help is an all-powerful God, and He is capable of helping us. Then the second point, the extent and timing of help. God's help and preserving power is all-encompassing, covering our entire life, physical, spiritual, emotional. And He does this 24-7 wherever we go. Even when we are unfaithful, He remains faithful. And that brings me to the last point. Do you need help? Are you in need of help today, or are you relying on your own strength, uh, your own riches, uh, your friends, your family? When you look at the mountains, do you see Jerusalem that is just beyond the feasts, the temple, the glory of God, and you think that you will just arrive there of your own accord? That will not happen. The first mountain that we face in this life is the mountain of our sin. And this mountain, friends, it is so huge that you cannot go over it, you cannot go around it, you cannot go under it, you cannot go through this mountain. 
Only God can help you. And He did do this by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross, on the cross, thus flattening this mountain so that the road to God is open. But this is only applicable to those who realize their brokenness before the Lord Jesus Christ and who cling to Him as Savior. As Christians, we can all admit that as we journey towards the new Jerusalem, we often tend to face our trials in our own strength and alone. We start to rely on the help of friends, of contacts, business connections, and our material resources instead of reaching out to God. And then we very quickly find out that the terrain is too rough, the obstacles too many, and our power and resources too small and little. Friends, it is only with the help of God that we will be able to experience peace that surpasses all understanding. Only with God can we suffer joyfully. Only with God can we give thanks for everything, even the negative. Will we be able to, to obey the command not to be anxious? Will we hate our lives in this world and the things of this world? And only with God can we love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to remind ourselves of this daily, that we need God's help. Pious Jews today, as they leave or enter their houses, they would touch the mezuzah. So this is a small metal container that is affixed to the right-hand uh, right side of the doorpost. And in this metal container is a piece of parchment inscribed with Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, and Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 to 21. And they will touch this mezuzah as they come in or as they go out, and they will quote Psalm 121, verse 8. And they will say, God is keeper everywhere, now and forever. And I think we need this mindset as well. 2021 is before us. It's, it's four days away. We do not know what this new year is going to bring. We do not know if the trials will be severe, um, not just because of COVID, but whatever trial we can face. Perhaps 2021 is going to be an easier. We just do not know. But irrespective on whether it is going to be easy or whether, whether it is going to be difficult, I need to ask you the question again. Do you need help for 2021? And where will your help come from? I look at the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Great and glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm that was included in your word. Thank you for its truth that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray, Father, that in light of this truth that we will be joyful and peaceful in the midst of a world where people are, are in disarray and confused and where peace is a very scarce commodity. Father, I pray that our trust in you will be a bright beacon of hope to the nations. We pray that you will be glorified, Father. Amen. We are now going to sing our final song, uh, which is He Will Hold Me Fast. And please pay a special attention to the lyrics because it's so relevant in, in light of the song. <laughs>